Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes of public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the finest service organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I have a really interesting and intriguing guest today. It's our first, to my knowledge, ever retired U.S. Secret Service agent, and I'm really, really happy that it's a woman because we're going to get some even better insight because, you know, our, our guys, you know, just want to talk about catching bad guys, but we're going to go into some real deep stuff here, uh, but let me tell you about her. Her name is Melanie Lentz. She was a Secret Service uh, agent for about a decade or so. Uh, she is also the author of a couple of books that we're going to talk about. One is Agent Innocent, How the Secret Service Changed My Life. Um, and another is called Advance Work, and I want to talk about that as well. Um, she's doing some amazing things right now, such as working as a blogger for Psychology Today. Um, she's running a business, training by Mel. Uh, God knows I need some training. She's also an expert swimmer. Uh, and I saw this, uh, Krav Maga practitioner, which means that she can kick my ass. So I'm glad that we're about 2,000 miles away. Uh, Melody, welcome to the show. <laughs> What's up? Thanks for having me, Ken. Glad to be here. Looking forward to our chat. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we, we already had fun before I pressed the record button. Uh, hopefully it won't be, you know, like a couple of episodes in my other show where we have so much fun and then I press the record button and there are no laughs. Um, so <laughs> I'll try to remedy that today. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned, you were a U.S. Secret Service agent for about a decade. Uh, what was that like, particularly to be a professional woman in what's obviously a very uh, male-dominated profession? Right. Yeah, the Secret Service didn't start hiring female agents until the early 1970s. So yeah. even today, um, when I became an agent in 2007, there was about one female to every nine or ten males, and it's still pretty close to that today. So yeah, definitely a heavily male-dominated occupation. And to couple it up there, um, as if I wasn't already the outlier, I was also 22 when I got hired, which wow. was yeah. at the time the youngest female Secret Service agent. So I kind of had a double whammy of, you know, coming from behind a little bit. So when I became an agent, it was very obvious that, you know, kind of that you stand in formation for the first time, it's one of these doesn't pull on, you know, it's, <laughs> um, obvious, it's obviously me. Uh, I have a funny story about early on in training and this can just kind of, this story kind of sums up sure. um, how the first part goes. So, you know, you get to training and they have you line up in formation, which me, no military, no law enforcement. First time they call out six and four. So they want, you know, six people, four lines, and everybody else knew what that meant except for me. So I caused a few push-ups right off the bat. So got my act together. And we stand in line and this instructor starts pacing back and forth, you know, very dramatically like the movies. And he says, you know, there's that saying about everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. And um, he said, but you may not have ever been punched in the face. And he looks right at me and I'm like, oh boy. And uh, <laughs> oh boy, here it comes. What did I get myself into? But he said, but today you're gonna know what it feels like. So they get us all, you know, get our you know, boil and bite mouthpieces in that I had never done before. So I had it wrong, but you know, we learned, we had a lot of learning. 
And they paired me up with um, another guy in my class because I'm, I'm almost five nine. So I was a little bit taller than the two other females in my class who were about the same height. So I was sure. with one of the guys and we're standing there and they kind of give the go and they say, you're going to, you know, spar a little bit. I'd never done this before. So I <laughs> there, start- there wasn't, there wasn't any sparring at all those swim meets you did, you know, before you got yeah. to the secret service, nobody hit each other. You just jump no. in the water. <laughs> yeah. You just jump in the water. It's a very, you know, it's the introvert sport. You're just following the black line by yourself. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So they line us up, they give the go and they say, you know, spar a little bit. Well, th- my partner clocked me i mean rang my bells but we had you know i had the mouth guard on he didn't hurt me but there's a joke the whole time through training that my ponytail kind of did this ripply thing as i you know projected back and i fought back they said that was the thing is that you like got got pissed and so you started like swinging poorly but i fought back and i remember thinking you know he didn't have to hit me so hard like they told us be good actresses and actors in training you know like you make your partner look good and just aggressive enough to get the job done but nobody needs to get hurt so they give us a water break and my you know, colleague comes out and comes running down the hallway and he's like, Melanie, I am so sorry. He said, I've never hit a woman in my life and I did not want them to make me do it twice on the first day. And so I was, oh gosh, you know, he wasn't going to do me any favors by going easy on me, but that was that sobering like, hey, we are all equal here and I better step it up and step it up quick. So yeah, gulp, what did I get myself into? So you didn't do the girl thing and kick them in the balls and walk away? (laughs) No, I learned that much later in Krav Maga. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Here's how you do it quickly. Never mind. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, so, you know, the real important question is how many times have you and your colleagues watched In the Line of Fire? Oh, we watched that movie. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay. So, you know, the Secret Service has a dual mission. So they do the protection and investigations. They were actually started to combat counterfeit currency. Mm -hmm. So day one of the academy, uh, well, the the counterfeit investigation portion of the academy, that first day, they hit play. So we watched that scene from, or no, not In the Line of Fire. I'm thinking to live and die in LA. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know which one you're talking. Yeah, yeah. We've watched both, but um, To Live and Die in LA has that scene where they're making the counterfeit with the traditional, you know, printing press and the plates. And so they hit play on that movie. But yes, we did watch that movie, the other ones as well. But yeah, so you gotta, I think people think a lot of times that it's that sexy career that you're constantly, you know, earpiece and, you know, the big bulging biceps and tailored suit with, you know, everything looking crisp. But you know, the real, and I'm sure many law enforcement and public service, uh, you know, people in the, that line of work knows that it's, it's, it's a little ugly and you're living out of a suitcase and that suit was real wrinkly about five minutes before you came into work, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, this is, is off the rails a little bit, but we're, we're having fun, so I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> uh, and for, for those watching or listening, In the Line of Fire is the one with Clint Eastwood. Okay. Uh, to Live and Die in L.A. Uh, was uh, with uh, Willem Peterson and Willem Dafoe, if I remember it right. Uh, and, so. uh, and the irony is, uh, I just watched To Live and Die in LA not too long ago again because my wife never saw it. And mm. I said, you know what? It's practically all film not too far away from where we live. We live in Long Beach, California, and most of it was filmed in San Pedro. She even made the nice. joke it should be called To Live and Die in San Pedro because there's hardly anything in Los Angeles. Right. Um, 
But anyhow, yeah, a uh, a very good friend of mine, a, a guest, a former guest on this show, and one of our uh, uh, public safety podcast partners, Christy Warren from Firefighter Deconstructed, a retired firefighter, says that you can't even watch the commercials for nine one one in nine one one Lone Star because they're so stupid and unrealistic. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find the same thing with those movies as a Secret Service agent? Or, oh or my gosh, that? yes. You know, they don't they they do a pretty good job when you get towards the end of the application process of telling you what you can really expect. But nobody told me that, you know, during like a presidential campaign year that for example, you'd be doing a event for some candidate or VP candidate in Jacksonville, Florida, and finish it up and get a text message saying, hey, you're headed to Milwaukee, right as the weather turns, you know, so I'm sweating my butt off in one place. And then the next day, I'm doing something random up in, you know, someplace a little colder. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's definitely not how the movies, the movies make us look much cooler than it actually was. <laughs> Well, you know, to, to get into a deeper subject, you mentioned to me uh, before uh, we started recording that, that you had to deal with some pretty heavy stuff in, in law enforcement. You mentioned that uh, that you dealt with uh, with child porn and, and getting a lot of, of those criminals off the street. Tell us a little bit more about that and, and how that affected you. Right. Yeah. You know, when you become a secret service agent, you typically want to protect people. And that's what I wanted to do. I never in a million years thought I'd find myself on a task force. It was an electronic crimes task force. And so when you work with other agencies, we had LADA, CHP, you know, a lot of other agencies that we worked with in that task force. So you're going to come across or work cases that maybe aren't part of your agency's specific core mission. And unfortunately, a lot of the caseload in that squad when I was there was child pornography cases. And I had never seen it, never thought, I never wanted to, never, you know, this was something I was very ill prepared for. And I have a whole lot of respect for local law enforcement, especially that works, you know, child sex crimes on a daily basis, because after about two years of it, I asked to leave the squad. I just couldn't do it anymore. It was it was rough because, you know, and, and everybody in, in public service and law enforcement, you have this switch when you go into work. Sometimes sure. your emotions and something that would normally repulse you outside of work, you have to hold it together to stop it or to do your work, do your job. And so I kind of had to, I, I credit that squad with kind of teaching me, teaching me that um, to just show up to work and, and do your job. And at first, you know, it was, it's so satisfying when you stop somebody who is manufacturing or distributing this stuff on the internet. But then the problem is, is after a while, you realize that there are 20 more cases to replace that one that you just tried to fix, you know? And so I think I got very frustrated. And I know this is common amongst law enforcement. You get a little bit, I'm not really making a difference. And I'm seeing these awful things and, and having to go you know, write search warrants and, and see this stuff and be able to present it to a U.S. attorney's office. And it's, it's rough. And then you just go home and pretend it's not, you know, they always say, don't bring your work home with you. So then you just turn it off and act normal. And it felt weird that you get into a groove where you're capable of doing that. And it was right uh, shortly after I had gotten married and, um, you know, spoiler alert, now ex-husband, but my uh, husband at the time was a local police officer. And so we both got good at doing the same thing. So it was kind of this dysfunctional living separate lives, but we don't talk about it too much. You know, it was, it was difficult for me in law enforcement to go home and turn off the switch and just live normally. And I think that 
you know, our marriage had a lot of problems from the very get go. And so when you see this crap at work and he sees, you know, all what he sees at work in Southern California, as you can imagine, you think, oh, my problems are so minimal, you know, like you minimize and you dismiss, you say, oh my gosh, this is so trivial compared to what I've got to do at work in the morning or what you have an issue with this with me. Well, that's stupid because look at what I had to do today. And so it's, a, I, I, I don't think I navigated it well, obviously it affected me a lot, just this just working that nature of cases, but it was also at a time where I needed to be addressing some stuff in my personal life. And I didn't because I minimized what was going on there. Now a word from our sponsor, the Police Officers Credit Union Association. Coming this October, 2021 is the Public Safety Business Summit in Savannah, Georgia, a program specifically created for organizations that serve first responders. What you will experience is a high level of networking and collaboration among like-minded leaders who are in the business of serving first responders. What you won't get are a series of boring lectures with no interactivity, ridiculous golf outings that are only appealing to a few attendees, or a couple of retreaded subjects that you can hear at any credit union league event that are just thrown into the curriculum. We offer an engaging agenda where attendees even help to determine the content during the actual conference based on their unique needs. If you run a business, a credit union, or a nonprofit that specifically serves first responders, then the Public Safety Business Summit is for you. For more information, go to www.policecreditunions.com or call 331 300 9889. We hope to see you in Savannah this fall. Mentioned several times on this show, I've never been a first responder, um, but have the utmost uh, respect for anybody that's that's worked in, in public safety, healthcare, anything related to that. Uh, I've never had that experience, so I just have to live vicariously and, and honor the people that do. Um, it, it, but I, my, my wife and I have kind of a, a running joke that, uh, that public safety professionals usually marry other public safety professionals. <laughs> uh, and I always wonder exactly how that works. I've had some couples, uh, on shows that I did that, you know, were a firefighter and a police officer or a police officer right. and a police officer. Um, our running joke at, at home is, hey, you know what? I was uh, talking to a new police officer for the work I was doing. You know who he's married to? A nurse. Oh, that <laughs> never happens. <you> know? <laughs> and I think part of it is you, you kind of gravitate to uh, somebody else in a, in the same or similar profession because they understand. And sometimes that works really well at home. I've seen mm. from the outside and other times, not so much. Cause as you say, if, if you're both going to kind of clam up and not tell each other what's going on and in using each other as a springboard, it, it causes more problems than, than, right. than not is, was that your experience? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was. And, and when you're in those kind of uh, occupations, you're often working opposite schedules. So a lot of it is you just yeah. haven't seen each other. And so when you do, you just, the last thing you want to do is deal with the crap you've been putting off. Uh, you know, sometimes he'd have midnight sh or graveyards and I'd have days and then we'd flip flop as soon as the other got the other person's schedule. So yeah, it definitely was that it was the, just the communication lacked. And, you know, it's, I always say kind of law enforcement in general is, 
one of those occupations where you have to become an expert at diffusing tough situations. Even as a secret service agent, you have somebody getting, you know, hostile at a checkpoint because they think they should have access and they don't, you know, they don't aren't on the list or whatever. You have to kind of de-escalate and that kind of, you almost are good at doing that in your personal life. You know, law enforcement enforces the law and the judicial system works out the solution and the consequences where, so it was almost like we did that in our relationship. We just diffused and then hoped it worked itself out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it obviously in in one way shape or form unfortunately you dealt with it by getting divorced i i hope yeah. that worked out for the best for for both mm -hmm. of you yeah how you know, you mentioned that you also dealt with depression and so forth i don't know if it was related right. to the marriage and the job or or other um stimulants or whatever the hell it was you know i'm not using the right language yeah that. but how how did you how did you deal with some of this how did you eventually find um a way to to kind of get past some of this right well i did it poorly <laughs> you know as i've gotten older i've gotten yeah. better about we, this we are almost <laughs> all of us do so yeah <laughs> don't worry about i just it. say i i was 50 you know i was 50 shades of messed up back then and i'm you know 49 48 so i'm still working on it now you know um no but for for me i didn't realize how prominent depression is in law enforcement and that it's something that you don't talk about and i think as a woman i didn't talk about it or didn't address it in my life because i thought that would be a perceived weakness that i was the tough girl i i excelled at my job and didn't handle you know i said yes to work and no to my personal life yeah. and that pattern just continued for most of my career you know my first year out of training was the 2008 presidential campaign uh, which is, you know, Obama McCain campaign, which was absolutely nuts. So I was on the road a lot right out of training. And I just developed those habits where, you know, this is a job that essentially is telling you your life is not as important as somebody else's because you're designed to protect them. You're the sacrifice if needed. That's kind of the, you know, the vibe of that kind of line of work. And so you just kind of, you know, like I said, continue to dismiss and stuff. And I loved my job. That was the thing is I had complete validation and my identity was special agent Melanie Lentz. And that was, I was proud of that title and I loved it. Typical, you know, type A, I'm doing something with my life. And as I got through my career, there is this point in an agent's career where you're supposed to move to DC because you'd go into the field. I was Los Angeles for a while. You learn the ropes, you travel as needed for protection assignments, and then you go to a permanent protection detail, whether that's the president, vice president, or a former um, former president or, and a spouse. And sure. so it was around the time where it's my turn, you know, my class is turned to make that big move to protection. And it was, there's some stuff that had happened that showed the marriage was in trouble. And I had a really hard time accepting that and you know i met this person when i was 17 my whole adult life involved this person and to realize that it might not it it was it was pretty rough and he was a local police officer so that meant moving to dc was hard for him so we sure. had to have some well put off conversations and you know i got to the point where i know now i didn't know then that depression runs in my family and we had never talked about it whether that's a generational thing i don't know some that, you know, those kinds of things were secret back in the day. So I, I think that was, I was kind of the one that started talking about it, thankfully. But it got to the point where I was so down about the marriage that I was having a hard time getting out of bed to go to work. And that was very unlike me, very unlike me, because I would just turn it off. That switch was on all the time. And 
I remember, you know, when you get hired at and many, many occupations, you get this pamphlet called the Employee Assistance Program. We're here for you. Call this number. <laughs> There's some frayed poster in the break room somewhere with this 800 yeah. number on there. And you think your ego says, I got it together. That will never apply to me. Right. But I can tell you, I got desperate enough to where I contacted the Employee Assistance Program. And I thought I was going to be met with a whole lot of judgment. And I was so scared to make that call. But I will say that was probably one of my strongest moments as a woman, as a human, as a special agent, because what I thought was going to be judgment was meant with, it was an encouragement. You did the right thing. And they said, you know, Melanie, who do you want to stand next to on the job? Do you want to stand next to, you know, your divorce rate is 80%. So you're not the only one dealing with this. Right. So do you want to stand next to somebody in a crisis situation who's also going through a divorce like you, but is handling it poorly, turning to alcohol or whatever other coping mechanisms? Do you want to stand next to that person? Or do you want to stand next to the person who's also going through a divorce, who is taking the measures to deal with it in healthier ways and move on and still be effective on the job? Who do you want to stand next to? Now, of course, you want to stand up with a person who's coping with their personal life better so that it doesn't affect their job. And so their perspective was not one of judgment. It was, how do you, I mean, how, I'm surprised more of you don't call. And so I don't think a lot of us forget that we have that option on the job. You know, you get that pamphlet at hiring, but you never take advantage of it. And that's what they would tell me is many law enforcement agencies offer 10 free counseling sessions a year. And they say they go unused most of the time. So, you know, me, me admitting I'd never been to a therapist or counseling or psychiatrist or anything before, but, you know, asking for help was something that was uh, definitely a step in the right direction for me. The other step that was also a a source of uh, contention at home was my husband didn't want to move and it would be, and I knew that us moving would be the end of the marriage. And right around that time, uh, there was an opening at former first lady, Nancy Reagan's detail, and she was still in Los Angeles in her nineties. So it was essentially right. driving Miss Daisy by then. Yeah. Know, I was, was going to say, a, that's probably oh, a pretty coveted, uh, assignment. Yeah. They say it's the cruciest job in the secret service. So who's, who's going to try to assassinate a 90 year old woman? <laughs> not a soul. Yeah. <laughs> so I made a career suicide choice in the middle of all this to go to Nancy Reagan's detail instead of going to DC with my classmates, which is what I really deep down wanted to do is, is do the career thing. I, I loved my job. I loved my job a whole lot. And so I went to Nancy Reagan's detail, insanely resentful towards my husband, uh, angry at this sacrifice that I had to make in order to save a marriage that didn't make it anyway. So it was like shortly after I went to Nancy Reagan's detail, papers were filed. So it was you know, if I was going to be by myself, I should have just gone to DC. So I went to Nancy Reagan's detail, very, very angry, but you know, sometimes you're just right where you need to be when you need to be there because in the big office, like Los Angeles, you're going to get big career advice. Their advice about anything involves your career, go to DC, you'll promote right out of there. You'll go to whatever field office you want afterwards. You'll be a boss, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when I went to Nancy Reagan's detail, every one of the other agents on that detail had made that choice because of their personal life, one way or another. One guy's daughter was uh, very ill, and so she was seeing a specialist for her condition at UCLA. So moving was going to be hard for them, right. you know, for whatever, child custody or something, something that kept them there for their personal lives. And so when I was going through arguably the roughest time of my life, trying to keep it together, I went to an assignment that was A, keeping me off the road a lot more because Nancy Reagan wasn't traveling. So I had time to see the counselors and to have a more predictable schedule. 
but I was also being given advice that looked beyond the secret service, which is something I hadn't done since 2007. I just saw the job. And so I think that that decision was the best one career move I made. It was a career suicide move. And I, and after Nancy Reagan passed away the next year, I ended up leaving, but I think I had been denying the depression for a long time. You know, when you start talking about stuff and you start asking you about symptoms or how you cope with things, you realize I've been doing this a long time and I know I have coworkers that do the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, that have the same issue. And so when I started kind of admitting it, when I, you know, and telling people, obviously you have to report this stuff to your bosses when you're, you know, seeing somebody for, you know, any sort of mental health kind of stuff. Um, and so they were, they knew, but then there was other coworkers that said, well, maybe I need to reach out to the employee yeah. assistance program. And so I think I kind of started a conversation, you know, scary conversation, but it ended up being a very productive conversation at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that story. You know, I've not being a first responder or in the secret service. Uh, unfortunately I dealt with some of the same things you did. So I, I, unfortunately I didn't have to live that vicariously. Yeah. Uh, but uh, from my, my own personal story, there's, there's plenty of people uh, you know, you, you, you walk, you walk into one of those AA groups and you think for the first time, ah, oh, you know, I did so much bad crap and, you know, I'm a terrible person. And then, you sit there for 10 minutes and talk to a couple people and listen to a few stories like, wow, you know, what I did wasn't so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Or or somebody, or my favorite one, or somebody tells you, it's like, you woke up in an alley? That's nothing. I woke up in jail. So you... Nice. But my, my, my point to, to that, and I, I've stressed this on the show a number of times, and um, Sean Douglas, who um, we met through from Life yes. Transformation Radio, yes. has said this a number of times, which is reach out to somebody. Um, right. You know, it, we, the number of us have all been there. There's really nothing new <laughs> that right. anybody's going to exactly. talk about. So whether it's, you know, EAP or, or some kind of outside group or, you know, even just talking to somebody that you know, may not be a, a partner or a family member, but somebody that you trust, you know, reach out right. to somebody. Um, and that's what you did. And it, it seemed to, to make a huge, huge difference in your life. Definitely. Yes, definitely. Yeah, awesome, uh, and I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, but let's let's segue a little bit because I'm sure at least some of that experience uh, was probably a motivation to a couple of the books that you wrote. In fact, you have two books. One, uh, which is Agent Innocent, I mentioned at the beginning, um, and most recently, Advanced Work. And I understand that's an actual workbook. I may have that wrong, but tell us a little bit more about both of those publications. Yeah. So like I said, I was 22 when I got hired. So you absolutely cannot take a 22 year old with no life experience, much less law enforcement (laughs) or military experience and throw her in a group of other 23 of her, you know, soon to be closest friends that have big biceps, military haircuts and wear khaki shorts outside of training and have there not be a little bit of comedy. So, you know, luckily for me, I had a lot of really big brothers who helped me out a lot and uh, saw that I wanted it. I, I, I was really willing to do the work. And so, you know, some of the, the best people I have ever met in my life are on that job. But, you know, I, Agent Innocent is the name of my memoir. And the memoir shows kind of those funny ex- and exciting experiences uh, throughout my career, but with the underlying personal story. Because what I came out of Agent Innocent was I say, you know, 
your innocence is lost, <laughs> you know, in that line of work essentially. But I learned a lot about the kind of woman I, and human in general that I want to be today from this, you know, naive 22 year old <laughs> that thought that she was going to be something. And, you know, I've, gosh, darn it. I, you know, like, you know, I'm just this, you know, innocent little thing walking in there. I've read all the books and I'm book smart about the secret service and the practical aspect had some, you know, a little bit of a learning curve, sure. but <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> But I always say, you know, as a female in law enforcement, I thought that I was just coming behind, from behind, that I had to fit this mold uh, to be a good agent. And what I found was, is there was a lot of things on the job that I could do that the guys couldn't do. Whether that was in a, a suspect interview, I could offer the calming, a, more of a calming presence, or they just thought I was a naive idiot and I was actually observing and got them to talk. So I don't know, sometimes that works yeah. too. You know, I didn't look, I never looked the part. So I could blend in surveillance and stuff. So there was one funny story early on in my career, counterfeit case of all things. Yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was asked to help with the surveillance for a counterfeit case. And this was out in the, um, I was assigned to LA, but this counterfeit was getting passed in Las Vegas a lot. And mm -hmm. so the suspects were kind of bouncing across, but the casinos in Vegas have very, very good counterfeit detection. And so the fact that think. it was getting they, past they don't, some they don't of want their... to get They don't want to get ripped off. They probably, no, right. they probably have better detection than most police forces, but go ahead. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that it was a good quality, you know, it wasn't somebody that just scanned their 20 and hit print on their inkjet printer. And, you know, it doesn't feel, you know, it's the paint bleeds as soon as, you know, but so it's actually decent quality. Well, we're watching this guy, uh, a bunch of the suspects, and they all start bringing out suitcases, you know, on the radio. We're like, I think they're about to go somewhere. And so we ended up on this, you know, trail of agents following these people to Las Vegas from, you know, the Inland Empire. So we were, uh, we were, <laughs> we had a lot, we didn't have anything with us, you know, I Heart Vegas shirts were, you know, coming up. <laughs> As we got there, we're like, we gotta go get some clothes, guys. Yeah. But the thing was, is I was probably 24, 25 by then, but I still looked about 16. I always looked a lot younger than I was. And so I was able to blend, which is why I did a lot of surveillance. But we go in the casinos and we're following these guys around, you know, I'm playing a couple slots here and there, just goofing off, keeping our eye on this to see where it's being passed and such. And I kept getting stopped by security, asking where my mother was. <laughs> They can say like, where's your, hey, you're, you've got to be 21 to play the slots, honey. Go, you know, where's your parents? And I was like, uh, and I show my ID and they were like, oh, okay. I, they didn't know I was there for work related purposes, but right. it was funny is that, you know, all those big brothers I talked about, they like to, you know, harp on me about it, as you can imagine in that line of work. So every day when I showed up for my shift that week of surveillance, They'd say, little girl, you better go to the security office, get your wristband. <laughs> and so I had to wear a wristband every day to go to work. So they would leave me alone. So I wouldn't lose our, lose our guys. So, you know, I didn't fit in, but I fit in where I needed to sometimes. Right. And sometimes I, that's kind of a lot of, um, a lot of women go in thinking they just need to be just like the dudes. And there are yeah. some things you all have, the nature of the job is it same badge, same title, same pay, same standards. You know, you have to yeah. be able to do certain things regardless of, gender or size. There are things you have to be able to do. Right. And so my attitude was, well, I am going to be able to do all those things, but I don't have to be a dude to do it. You know, I, right. I can still maintain, you know, be a woman and still just, you know, bust my hump to be able to do some of the physical things that were a little bit more challenging. But there were times when, hey, they couldn't do something I could do. And that was, yeah. that was something is you kind of have to know, I have this to offer. You always have something to offer. 
you know, people say, oh, I could never do that job. But yeah, you can. I mean, I'm 22 with no life experience and I could mm -hmm. do it. And it was hard because I had a lot to learn. But, uh, but yeah, there was, you know, there's just, there's countless stories of times where I was able to do something that those, you know, big dudes couldn't do. Um, or just, you have protectees that just have secret service all the time. So they don't get a moment's break. And so there was one time where there's this one guy in our squad called Eddie or named, um, Edward, but we called him smooth talking Eddie because he looked <laughs> like he was part of a boy band and he had this Southern drawl so he could get anybody to talk. So me and smooth talking Eddie were two of the youngest agents in the office and Jill Biden of all people, um, now our first lady, but she was the second lady. So VP's wife at the time, right. she wanted to go running on the beach and we were up in Santa Monica in Venice beach mm -hmm. area. So you know where that's at from yep. where you're at. And so uh, I was tasked to go out to run with her because I would blend in. She just wanted a quiet run on the beach before her event. Like, I don't want a big to do. Just, can I just have this, you know, can, are you able to make this happen? Yeah. So they, who do they call me and smooth talking Eddie say, Hey, you want to go <laughs> scout out this little route? You know, they said, well, she holds about this pace. She wants to go about this number of miles or whatever. So we scouted out, get ready to go. And, you know, I've got that big belly band with my gun, my radios flopping everywhere, but me and Smooth Talk and Eddie said afterwards that, you know, we always get teased about how young we look on this job, but there weren't any other agents in that office that could go for a run with the second lady and not a single soul recognized her because we were able to provide that experience, you know, for that period of time. So yeah, we, there's always some place to offer. That's the advice I always give to, to women that say they want to go into that field is just, you have something to offer. You're just going to have to work hard to get the job because there yeah. are things you're going to be have to have to be able to do. So but, did uh, you, you make that run with Joe Biden's wife with all that crap on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, there's actually, peace. okay. All right. So there's actually a funny story about that, that I, uh, <laughs> so we're on this run. I'm out in front, you know, I've got my thing. I'm calling out the intersections. Uh -huh. I got my, you know, wearing this long sleeve, big old shirt with, you know, oversized to cover everything, but I've got right. my, you know, radio. So we're running and be like, Hey, passing this intersection. And the motorcade was kind of like shadowing us a little bit. And so we had mm -hmm. these emergency egress points and stuff. Well, I'm jogging around, smooth talking Eddie's behind us. And so I kind of kept glancing back, make sure we got an eye on her. And I look back and smooth talking Eddie's gun had popped out of his <laughs> belly band. He is juggling <laughs> on the beach boardwalk. His, Mrs. Biden never knew, never saw a thing. And my eyeballs just got big and he's just like, just go, just go, just go. <laughs> and so smooth talking Eddie had to get, you know, he was always put together. Like we said, he looked like he was from a boy band and smooth talking Eddie's juggling his gun behind, you know, Jill Biden, you know, it just had popped out. So he's just doing one of these as I'm, you know, walking by, but the things people don't know that happen uh -huh. behind the scenes oh, sure. is comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, <laughs> having worked with law enforcement for I don't know nearly twenty years. Uh, I, I I've been told some of the best stories. Oh, um, I bet. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, are obviously Eddie had the safety on when the gun popped. Oh, out. of course. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it wasn't one of those things where it was like it was one of those where it's flopping out and you can see it in his shirt coming out. And so yeah. we were just oh my gosh, Eddie, get it together! Come on. <laughs> it's yeah. not our first. First day. 
You know, I, I feel I feel like I, I have a ver a vicarious career in law enforcement because I I can't watch some of these shows. Um, I as many yeah. of the audience know, I I cover true crime for Podcast Magazine, and so you know I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. I watch a lot of true crime shows on television. Fortunately, fortunately, my wife enjoys them too, and we'll be watching. Uh, like a Dateline is a perfect example. And somebody will say, well, the gun just went off. Like, no, 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 no. The guns don't just go off, no. all right? It's like, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll show you. We'll go in the back. I'll grab the three fifty seven and I'll just throw it up against the fence. And we'll, I'll, do, I'll do it 10 times, and I'll bet you that yeah. every single it time never, it never goes right. off. <laughs> right. Guns don't just accidentally go off, no. all right? right. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I could keep talking to you for another hour, <laughs> Melody, and, you know, we didn't even get into – the uh, the personal training stuff. Maybe we'll have a, a separate episode yeah. on that because uh, um, on our soundness initiative, physical is one of of our four pillars. Uh, but to kind of wrap up for now, where can our audience find you if they want to uh, gain access to your books and you know buy like eighteen copies for Christmas <laughs> ahead of time, um, or or have you speak, or even you know talk to you about personal training or anything. Where can they best yeah. find you out there? Right. Well, my website is melanielentz.com. And so just my first and last name. Uh, the book is Agent Innocent. And that's the memoir. And that's available on Amazon, audiobook, Kindle, all those little varieties. All that fun and stuff. Advanced Work is a workbook. is a seven-day workbook where my career ended kind of abruptly where I knew I needed to start over to become somebody I was proud of. I lost my way, clearly, along the way somewhere. And so starting over, I realized I learned a lot about protecting myself inside and out by protecting others. And so advanced work is what a term in the Secret Service where when you're creating a security plan ahead of time, you go out to a site and you create that plan and the manpower and the logistics and all that stuff. That's called advanced work. And that's really the crux of protection as an agent. It's not just showing up in the motorcade. So I use kind of the concepts of advanced work to show how I kind of have my own personal security plan today. You know, whether that's habits I get into to protect myself physically or things that I do uh, in terms of access control for the depression and inner protection. So it's kind of going through and it's a workbook to kind of help. I share how I learned the lesson and then how about you look at your life? Maybe there's something that you need to work on. So that just came out. I'm really excited about it. Probably more geared towards the younger audience, although I'm closer to 40 than 30 now. And I think <laughs> that writing it made me um, kind of reevaluate some things in my current life. So, so that'll, that's available Amazon as well. And you have links to all that on my website. I'm at Melanie Lentz on Instagram or at Melanie Lentz author, but the Melanie Lentz one has the training and all that good stuff. So that's where you can reach me. Love to hear from everybody. I am booking speaking gigs for the fall now. So uh, hit me up. It's media at MelanieLentz.com is the email for that. Perfect. We'll, we'll make sure we, we put all of that in the show notes so they can find you easily. Um, and it's, and your age is okay because I'm closer to 50 than I am to 40. So, uh, and you still look like you can get stopped at the slot machine in Vegas. So <laughs> nice. well, thanks. <laughs> I just say I'm never getting old, but you know, when I wake up in the morning and certain joints are a little crap, than they used to be at 22 i'm reminded you're not quite that old anymore 
I am well aware. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Well, Melody, thank you so much for sharing so much good insight and being a lot of fun too. I really okay. appreciated you taking the time. No problem. It was awesome talking to you and uh, look forward to the next time and all the best to you and all your projects and, and thanks for having me. Awesome. And yeah. thank you to all of you who have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we'll be back with you next week with another awesome episode. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.